Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today my guest is Maya Golden, who is an Associated Press winning and Emmy-nominated multimedia journalist. She is the winner of the Excellence in My Market Award from the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences and the founder of the One in Three Foundation, a nonprofit organization that provides recovery and counseling resources to survivors of sexual trauma with little to no income in East Texas. Maya has been featured on Bally Sports, Fox Sports College, ESPN 2 and 3, and other broadcast mediums, including blackgirlnerds.com, Salon, and Insider. She speaks as a survivor for organizations such as the Children's Advocacy Center, Court-Appointed Special Advocates, and Kids Aspiring to Dream. The Texas A&M alum's career includes experience as a sports anchor reporter and television production editor, newscast writer, field producer, and print writer. She is a member of the Writers League of Texas, Women's Fiction Writers Association, and the East Texas Writers Guild. Welcome, Maya. Thank you so much, Ronit. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm so happy that you're here, and you have done so much in your career. Let me just first ask you to share a bit about the return trip and what was important to you to convey as you worked on it. The return trip is a story about childhood sexual abuse and sexual assault, so it is a heavy topic, but at the heart of it, it's really the story of what happens to a little girl when she develops the core belief that she exists for the pleasure of other people, for the gratification of other people. Who does she become? Mm. Who is the adult woman that she becomes? And how does that abuse later manifest itself? And the book deals with themes, a lot of mental health themes, but primarily perfectionism, alcoholism and addiction, which were unhealthy coping mechanisms that developed for me, as well as dissociative disorders, and just a sense of not being in my own body, not having control over my own, even, I guess, the physicality of who I was as a young woman and then moving into womanhood. Mm -hmm. And it also explores how do you develop a sexual identity when you have been taught at such a very young age and exposed to something so horrible at such a young age. And truly, what led me to write this book was I was looking for an honest tale about uh, the repercussions of sexual abuse and how it manifests in people. Mm. And, and I know that there are often stories about that, but my particular uh, situation was dealing with those addictions and particular mm. sex, sex addiction, which as a woman was something that I was not finding a lot of materials on. I found a lot of self-help books and a lot of books geared towards men or books geared towards talking to your teenager about pornography, but not someone's own honest depiction and experience. And mm -hmm. I wrote this book really for survivors, uh, for those who have been through this and understand and can see themselves in the behaviors that manifested, but also for those loved ones who are close to someone who's a survivor, whether it's a spouse or a child or a best friend or a cousin. Mm -hmm. Uh, and even 
for care providers, uh, for nurses, for uh, sane nurses that work with assault survivors, how sexual abuse and assault can manifest in a victim even years later. So mm -hmm. the target and the goal was really to to be as vulnerable and authentic on the page for the sake of helping other survivors feel like someone else gets it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. So when did you feel ready to begin writing this memoir? It's hard to figure out when we really began writing. When did we start writing little pieces or journaling? And when did we start the actual memoir? But how far out from your experience of being in the full maelstrom of the fallout from everything that had happened to you and your addiction and the challenges you faced in your partnership and your romantic relationship, how far from maybe healing or getting better in those areas were you when you began writing this material? Well, I just celebrated eight years uh, from recovery and uh, Congratulations. My, thank you. And my trip to the treatment center, Shades of Hope, that's uh, part of the story in the return trip. So I would say it was about five years after that, um, mm. th three years ago, I started, I, I really started this book. It was, it's kind of funny to say it, but I started it as a fictional tale. Uh, it was someone else's story because I didn't want this to be my story. I didn't want it to be that vulnerable, but I could make a character that had all of this. And I queried it and mm -hmm. it, it was immediately rejected and it should have been because it wasn't, it wasn't Did true you to write me. it as fiction? The whole I, manuscript? Not the whole manuscript. I wrote probably the first five chapters as fiction and mm -hmm. I kind of just sent it out to test it. Mm -hmm. And the feedback that I got was it just didn't grab me. Uh, you know, it didn't feel it, it, it had the potential, but it didn't feel earnest. And that's, mm -hmm. that's really when I said, if I'm going to do this, I have to do this and I have to do it in a way that is authentic and vulnerable and you mentioned before that I work with survivors here in East Texas. So I share my story quite a bit and I've seen the help and healing that can come from that sharing. So mm -hmm. I just sort of swallowed my pride and said, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to, we're going to do it. So October of 2020, mm -hmm. uh, I began the memoir. Did you know at any point in your younger adulthood, did you think you would write a book about anything? I did. I wanted to be a writer. I, when I was a little girl, I had the aspiration of being an author. I, of course, like a lot of kids or people had the romanticized <laughs> idea of what that looks like. Um, it's, it's not, ex it's not exactly what I thought, <laughs> but I wanted to tell stories. And that's partly why I became a journalist initially was I really enjoyed the human experience of talking to people and being able to tell their story profoundly and in a way that was authentic to them and true to them and being honest to mm -hmm. what their situation was. And I said, you know, if I'm doing this for other people's stories, I need to really look at doing this for my own story. Mm -hmm. I wonder too, because of the nonprofit, uh, if once you knew you were writing this memoir, did it help you at all to know all the voices, all the people that you would be serving by offering this resource? Because you saw the youth in front of you, right? You saw the people who were survivors. And if you, as, as the founder, could sit there and really un unwrap this story, what that effect would be for people who were survivors as well. 
that was the motivation that kept me going. There were a lot of times throughout this process where revisiting these traumas and talking about them so vividly and mm-hmm. uh, and such broad description was difficult. And there yeah. were times where I had to I had to give myself grace and hit pause during mm-hmm. the writing process. And when I would question my my reasoning, what was my why am I doing this was was the question that I had to remind myself. And it was those people that came to mind um, mm-hmm. that it was other survivors or the people that, um, you know, are in relationships. You meant you mentioned romantic relationships, my husband uh, and his situation. There are other spouses that are dealing with uh, being in relationships with someone who has extensive mm-hmm. complex childhood trauma mm-hmm. and are trying to navigate those relationships. So if I could tell a story that would help anyone who loves a survivor, who is a survivor, is connected to a survivor, that was the thing that I kept coming back to during the writing process. Mm-hmm. And when you began writing it, can you remember what the effect was on your nuclear family or how you how you were able to delve into this material and then be in relationship as a mom and as a spouse? How did that affect you and what did you do to sort of negotiate it? It was difficult at times. I, I feel extremely fortunate because my husband is truly been my biggest cheerleader through this entire process and I feel so fortunate for that because with the content matter with the subject that's in the book you know I discuss emotional affairs I discuss porn addiction um, sex addiction all things that took place outside of my my marriage and you wouldn't necessarily think that the person who would be encouraging you to to heal by writing those things would be your spouse but he Mm -hmm. he's he's been wonderful in that regard I was probably a little bit more anxious with outside of my immediate household probably more my relatives to Mm -hmm. be honest Mm -hmm. Um, and how I felt about you know writing about my parents writing about my brother writing about my abuser who was a relative and Mm -hmm. I had to have those conversations and and memoirists are familiar with Mary Carr and I read The Art of Memoir but one of the things that I had to keep coming back to when I had conversations with them was was from her advice which was this is my story from my perspective mm-hmm. you in all likelihood might remember some of these things differently you might remember your reactions differently but this is this is what I felt these are my memories from those moments so I am not trying to project onto you any Mm -hmm. one particular thing Mm -hmm. I'm writing from Maya's point of view and once I was able to establish that I think that helped them understand um there was a comment made, am I being made to look like the Wicked Witch by a family member? <laughs> well, no, that's not the intent by any means. And and I don't think anyone who's writing to heal is writing from that place necessarily when they start this. But mm. if there is angst in that relationship, then it, yes, it's going to come out on the page. Mm-hmm. So I think it was probably more difficult to have the relationship of depiction with my extended family more so than it was with with my household like I said I'm very Mm -hmm. very lucky to have the support system that I do here yes you've been through so much and it sounds like you and your husband have become even stronger because of what you've accomplished that's definitely true I 
reading the book, it's uh, pretty clear that I kept a lot of things to myself, a lot of bottled up emotions. Mm -hmm. And I'm much more open now into saying exactly how I feel or not feeling ashamed if I cry in front of him. And I think that that's something that really came from being able to write this memoir being able to put that on the page it's like if I can if I can do this in writing then I can speak up for myself in real life I can say hey I'm having a hard day or hey I'm sad or mm. uh, you know and have those those emotions come out and but have an outlet for them now as well yeah and I think that you make me you make me remember that when we're writing a memoir, especially when we're talking about really traumatic events and very painful memories, it's it's kind of it's kind of a contradiction because you would think dwelling in those memories in that time would do us a lot of harm. And of course, there are steps we can take to protect ourselves a little bit and, and get back to the regular world when we need to. But there is this healing ability of being able to, bask in those memories or give voice to the part of us that didn't really have words or understanding for what was going on which which actually heals us in ways it's like I'm gonna spend as much time as that little girl needs right now from the safety of my adulthood that's perfectly said and I as a as a big mental health advocate uh, have no problem saying I'm still in therapy I, mm -hmm. I go it's part of my self-care but one of the conversations that I recently had with my therapist was that little girl that's in the story but is very much a part of me she still wants a seat at the table and <laughs> there are days where I can feel this internal conflict going on you know it's I'm tired and I'm pushing myself and it's almost like there's a temper tantrum inside of me going no <laughs> and I have started to recognize that's that child in me saying this is enough or mm. we we've done enough and in some weird way it almost feels like that child is protecting me because the adult me developed from a sense of trying to to really hustle and chase worth and enough sure. and because of that I don't know a lot of times rest in peace and so she constantly teaches me it's okay to rest or you know the beauty of having a, ch a child and my son is you know mm. we can be silly we can play and that that is fun and, and it 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 lets me tap into that part of my healing by letting her come to the surface and not trying to suppress it. Mm. It also reminds me, you've done so much public facing work. A lot of the things that I read that you've done, and I'm sure that's just a partial bio, is very front facing to the public. You're a personality. You're like the face of the stuff that you do so much. And I think that there there can be this, this go, go, go feeling to the career that you have been part of for so long and to have accomplished all of this. So was that a different level of scary or a different level of concern that you were going to share this story and sort of shine a light on what you had been through when people didn't have any sense that that was an experience you came from? Oh, absolutely. I feared that sharing a lot of this or putting this in the book would cost me job opportunities in the future or uh, the judgment, as you said, and um, that judgment wasn't just from the people who watched me on TV as a sportscaster or who have read my articles. It was also from people in the community who have 
seen me or seen me out and about as an advocate or uh, with women's empowerment and had no idea all these years that this was my story, that I had suffered mm-hmm. through these things or had battled addiction. And mm-hmm. so that was probably the, I would say more so than worrying what the viewers might think, it was probably some of the the people that I respect, what would they think? Mm-hmm. Um, I did have that fear, but I can say again, it's been so supportive. And the fact that I've had people say, thank you for writing this. I might not know your story, but I know someone else who does, who has experienced this and it's going to help them. And I think that once I was able to look at it through that lens and also to let go of the shame of it, Dr. Brene Brown says that, you know, silence uh, is what shame needs to thrive. Mm -hmm. And if I'm owning this, if I'm saying this is what happened, these are the things that I did, then it's very hard for me to feel shame around that. And also, I will say, too, no one... You know, it's it's memoir, but I don't think any of us set out to say, hey, this is the worst thing that I have ever done in my life. And mm-hmm. these are the worst things that have happened to me. And I'm going to tell the whole world about it <laughs> eagerly. I don't think that that's what we do. I think we we set out with intention. And again, I come back to that why. And my why was to write something that was going to help other survivors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I can really see would spur you on even when you wanted to stop. I, I was hoping that you could read that excerpt we talked about. And if you'd like to set it up, I don't know how much setup you feel it needs, but I'll leave that to you. Okay. Uh, this is an excerpt from Chapter 5 of The Return Trip. The portion of this particular chapter explores my baptism. I am from the South. I'm from Texas. And I was baptized at the age of 11 as many children in this area are, but my reasoning for doing so was basically because I thought it would help the abuse stop. Mm. Uh, I felt dirty and that I had fallen out of favor somehow uh, with God, and that's why these things were happening to me. So this chapter in particular is from 1991. It was hot in the church, and I was restless, an 11-year-old crammed on a pew with at least a dozen other people, most of them bathed in too much perfume that itched my nose and made it hard to breathe. The remnants of the stained, burgundy-crushed velvet cushion under my backside had lost any plushness years ago, and the hard, wooden back of the pew wasn't adding to my comfort. Yet another Sunday afternoon, two hours into a far too long sermon. Like most black girls in Texas my age, I obediently sat through the grueling marathon at our Baptist church. Even if the air conditioner had been on, it would have been sweltering because of all the bodies tightly packed into pews. There wasn't a single clock in the sanctuary, and I wondered if this was on purpose. So the congregation's only squirming would be from the sting of the pastor's words to us sinners and not from restlessness. The only time we could count on the benediction, the dismissal from church, taking place as close to 1 o'clock from the 11 a.m. service was when the Dallas Cowboys had a noon kickoff. No preacher in the area wanted to risk holding everyone hostage to the start of the second half of the game. I neither loved going to church nor did I hate it. It was simply a part of life that was expected and accepted as a black child. Then I heard it. Our pastor's booming voice read Matthew 18:10 with conviction. 
Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. My head shot up. My pastor looked out into the crowd of attentive faces and said, Every child is protected by an angel. My shoulders hunched towards my ears and I felt my body grow hot. It was not the type of warmth you feel with a fever. It was a burning from my core that rose like lava to the crown of my head. Rage. Where the hell was my angel? Thank you. I I chose that scene because uh, I just, the vulnerability and the way you put the reader into your shoes and into your environment. And also, I think it's so important, like, I don't know, I was especially moved by the, the fact that here you were searching for some answer or some safety, some adult or God to make your life better. Yes, very much so. And that's another theme um, throughout the book is, is struggling with trying to understand why these things happen. And I don't know that I, I think I've had to accept that I never will get a satisfying answer to that question mm -hmm. in my life. Why did this happen to me? Why me? And mm -hmm. part of my moving forward and part of my healing and being able to write this book was accepting that, accepting that I might not get an answer to it and saying it did happen. And how am I going to turn this into something that no longer just destroys my entire life or robs me of joy and it doesn't mean that I don't struggle but it means that I can acknowledge that I went through this and I can live the rest of my life with a hope that my worst days are behind me mm -hmm. do you think it's ever possible to detach at least for you I know you can't speak uh, for all the survivors but do you think it's possible or it has it been possible to sort of separate the feelings of shame or uncleanliness that you had as a as a girl about yourself with the woman you are now? I think it's very difficult, uh, even for me still now. And I think there's so much pressure on us, societal pressures, stigmas, religious pressures, cultural pressures that... For a long time, you know, it wasn't okay to own our sexuality. Mm -hmm. And we're in a very different age right now. But when we still look at even the news headlines and things that are going on right now against women and reproductive rights, it still feels like we don't have autonomy over our own bodies. And so it can be very difficult to separate, well, I'm a woman and I, I have feelings and I have emotions and I have desires, which are okay mm -hmm. with you know, I was introduced to this thing very young and it's dirty and it's not something that you're supposed to know and it's unclean. Mm -hmm. And that can be that can be really difficult when society is in some ways telling you still that same thing, even as an adult. Yeah. And, and so I, I think I wrestle with that still. And having, you know, friends who we can have those conversations, we can talk about in safe spaces, support groups, or with my therapist and my counselor, and I can have that conversation. That helps a lot with the shame that I felt. To be honest, my therapist probably said one of the best things to me, and that's something I remind myself of. I actually have it on my a post-it. We talked about the, the little girl version of me, but she told me to stop kicking that little girl's butt <laughs> and uh, to give her a break 
And that's what I've had to do. I've had to forgive myself for something that was not in my control. Mm-hmm. What is writing the memoir showing you about who you were back then as a little girl and what you went through? I think it showed me that I was a child that grew up too fast. I think I took on this air of being a people pleaser and being a perfectionist and a high achiever very, very young. And the weird part about that is the same thing that harmed me has helped me. Being Mm -hmm. a high achiever, always being willing to take up space, even as a, a, a girl in the room, as the only black girl sometimes in classes, as a woman in sports, all of those things were, I was not daunted by that. It was more of a challenge. And mm-hmm. I would daydream about those things. I daydreamed about being an author. And it's very funny because those daydreams sometimes are part of disassociation, but those things have helped me as a writer. So it's it's taught me that Yes, I went through a lot and I can look back and see how that child struggled, but I can also see that that child, outside of what happened to her, she did have a good life. Mm, Wow, that's powerful. It it seems like that would be really hard to do too. It is. It's, It's hard to look back and say, because you would think that, you know, you would only feel like the trauma overshadows everything and Mm -hmm. like it's a cloud over my entire childhood, but it really wasn't. I I was able to compartmentalize Mm. a lot of it. And um, because of that, there are moments that I look back and, and some of my childhood friends are mentioned in the book and, you know, they still bring me joy to this day. We talk, we laugh and have those memories of of growing up in the nineties in our awful clothes. (laughs) And just, just, just those good memories that I still have thanks to my family and my friends. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not surprising knowing what we know now. I mean, it's. I think that the amount of people who suffer trauma and these extreme conditions growing up who then turn to drugs, who have addiction, who have relationship troubles, who can't even be successful, and some who are ultra, ultra successful, it all makes sense when you look at it. I mean, don't you feel like you coped the best way you could? I did. And that's, you know, as I said, trying so hard and and working so hard to feel like I was enough and for outside validation. Yes, I burnt myself out. Yes, perfectionism is a disease. But at the same time, I did achieve many things that I'm proud of in my life. Mm -hmm. And Tenny McCarty, who is one of the counselors from Shades of Hope that's featured in the book, Tenny has said just what you said, that oftentimes with survivors, there are those two extremes. They Mm -hmm. either fall deep in the rabbit hole of addiction and depression and never come out of it, or they're hyper type A over perfectionists. And I fall on the hyper type A spectrum. (laughs) Yeah. And also, I just have to say that, you know, so you have the statistics, did you say one in three kids or women or girls have been abused? The statistic is that one in three women will experience physical or sexual violence in their lifetime. And that's according to the World Health Organization. So if you Mm -hmm. stop and think about one in three, and those are reported cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those aren't the cases that people suffer in silence. Yeah, and I think... I mean, there's so much we could say about this, and I'm by no means an expert, but after hearing so many stories and reading memoirs about this, I just think that child sexual abuse and and child abuse 
among all the abuses is one of the worst because of the way it continues to shape someone's life forever. It does. And again, a part of that is the stigma of silence, the stigmas of shame that go along with being a survivor. And that's where we have to create spaces that are safe for survivors to speak up and be able to tell their stories and to support them. It's not just a hashtag of believe survivors. We really mm. need to wrap our arms around young people, not just not just women, girls, anyone who steps forward and says this has happened to them and not let them be engulfed by shame, but to let them know the person who did this to you was wrong. Mm -hmm. You weren't wrong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You write this in the book, and I wanted to just share this quote. The thing about learning healthy boundaries is once you know what they are for you, you won't tolerate any violations against them. So how do you negotiate boundaries now, and how do you stay healthy? One with work. Uh, I have very specific work hours. My writing hours vary just because I am a mom and a wife and those many other hats that I wear. But with work, I'm very strict about unless it's an emergency call, um, then I don't take calls or answer emails related to work after certain hours, which is very different from me where I used yeah. to be up at 3 a.m. and still replying to people. The same with going to spaces or going around people who don't make me feel safe and supported. If I feel that way about someone, then I don't feel any longer that I'm obligated to be in their presence. And if they are going to be near me in some capacity, then I am very clear about I'm okay with talking about this. I'm not okay with talking about this. And so mm -hmm. once you can, it, it is, it's a very freeing thing to be able to do. And I still struggle with that because we want people to like us. We are still people pleasers at the end of the day sometimes, but I learned again to speak up for myself and that my feelings are, are valid. I know that we hear that a lot or we see that on Instagram posts, our feelings are valid, <laughs> but it's the truth. And you, you are allowed to set those boundaries for yourself, especially with people who don't make you feel loved, supported, or safe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and when you think about your, the books that have helped you along the way and maybe memoirs, or I know you mentioned Brene Brown before, but it, are there books or memoirs that have been especially helpful to you that, you know, when you were writing this or even now? Yes. Uh, I mentioned Mary Carr earlier, the liars club. I know it, it, people talk about that book so much, but it's, <laughs> it's the fact that she wrote it and she, she grew up about three hours from where I currently live. So as a Texan, oh, that yeah. was, that was very influential to me, just the language and the religion and all of those different aspects of it. Also, I, I read several celebrity memoirs, not that I'm in, in the, anywhere in that vein, but just was very curious as to, some of the, the things that they might address or choose from their stories, especially people who are in the public eye. But I'll tell you a few other books that really helps me. Stephanie Foo's What My Bones Know was very influential because it also deals with complex PTSD. Uh, Therese Marie's Heartberries is uh, the story of an indigenous woman who is in a survivor, and it is so beautifully crafted. I read a few other books, uh, Alan Cumming, the actor, I read his mm -hmm. memoir, and I was able to really see the different styles and 
decide what path I wanted to take in writing my own story by reading theirs. But I was very inspired by how vulnerable they were, they were all willing to be. And that was what I learned that authenticity in a memoir is, is paramount if you want the reader to connect with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And when you think about advice that you could share with writers working on their memoirs, it, it can be anything you'd like to share, a couple of things. And also, if you want to chime in a little bit on how you knew when you needed to stop and when you would push yourself. For example, if there was a really difficult scene and you were sh- certain that you needed to have it in your book, but you were having a hard time rendering it on the page, was there a way that you coped with that? Absolutely. And the the biggest thing that I can say for myself and to other writers, um, especially exploring trauma and childhood trauma specifically, was to give myself grace. We see a lot of, in the writing community, there's writing challenges, people talking about, you know, having dedicated time, write every day, push yourself through, keep going. I don't believe that that's possible when you're writing a memoir that deals with trauma. Because mm-hmm. you have to give your body and your brain a break. Your mm-hmm. your body doesn't know when you're writing about the trauma because you're in your brain. You're in that moment. Your body doesn't know that it's not back at that place anymore. And so if you're writing it in full description and your senses are there and you're trying to take the reader there, your body is also there. And it's going to unlock a lot of from your past. And so I would encourage taking breaks self-care, having your having a mental health expert to work with you so that you can talk about those days when you're struggling, making sure you have a good support people around you, um, you know, friends that are your trusted circle that you can say, you know, I'm having to write this difficult thing and I'm struggling. And also being cautious who you share those early drafts with because mm-hmm. you're being vulnerable on the page and in doing so, Sometimes when you're in the critique process that early on, it might not be the best thing for you yet to get feedback on it. Mm -hmm. So I would say just taking a break, allowing yourself grace and saying, you know what, if I write 150 words of this chapter today, that's okay. And making sure, again, that you have mental health support, because when you open that vault on your past, (laughs) It's uh, it, it's going to manifest itself no matter how much work you feel you've done. Um, it just has a way of creeping back in. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. All really important points. And I it made me wonder about you 10, 15, 20 years ago, even if you had had the inclination to write a memoir then, I, I don't know that it would have been a good idea to do that. Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> I can say that with all with all cer- with all certainty. I can absolutely say that because I struggled in this process, and I've done the work. I've gone to treatment. I work with survivors. We have a foundation, and mm. you know, I've I've listened to mental health and experts, and talked to trauma specialists, and all of these things. And it was still by far the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. So I know that. I couldn't have been on the path to write this book even in the last two years, um, especially not if I hadn't acknowledged what had happened to me and sought treatment for it. Mm -hmm. So if people want to learn more about you, Maya, get your book, find out about your work, where can they, oh, and your foundation, where can they find you? You can find me online. My website is goodasgolden.com. My Instagram is also there. I'm on social media. 
the book is available. It's at Barnes and Noble. You can find a, a link to the book on my website. Again, goodisgolden.com or through my social media platforms. And as far as the one in three foundation, if you're a survivor, even if you're not in the state of Texas and you're looking for some resources in your community, we can connect you. That is one in three, the numeral one, and then I N the numeral three foundation.org. Great. I'll put all of that and your links in the show notes. And I want to thank you so much for spending time with me today and for your candor and vulnerability and reflection. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on and for the opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here. 